You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Reese Davis is one of the preeminent names in college sports as the host of ESPN's College Game Day for both football and basketball. If there's a big game, expect Davis and his buddies to be there. Whether it's on a Saturday in the fall with Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, and Desmond Howard, or in the winter with Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, and LaFonso Ellis, Davis orchestrates the opinions into a wonderful tapestry of insight about the best games of the day. Although he has said he never feels like he's working, he's one of the hardest working and most versatile broadcasters in America. Reese, welcome to Sports Connections. David, thank you for having me. All right, I know you've said that you don't think you're working, <laughs> but it has to be a grind to be on the road so much during college football and basketball seasons. Now, <clears throat> you get to the sites at least one day before your game day shows, and you still, at least up until recently, still doing Thursday night college football games for ESPN as well. Just talk about the grind of that. And I know it's something you, you want to be doing, but it's still got to be hard. Well, you know, I, since I took over game day football, I don't do the Thursday night football games anymore. That's just a little bit of a, a little bit of a tough ask. Um, yeah. I think for play by play, even though Kirk is going to do it obviously with, uh, with the NFL games this year, but I do, you know, call basketball games during the week and then do game day on the weekend, shorter show, um, yeah. for basketball than football. But I think the thing is, is with the travel, once I'm there, the travel is awesome. But the, you know, the whole yeah. logistics of getting through the airports and connecting, and then maybe, you know, maybe you have a connection and a drive, you know, it's not quite as, uh, as glamorous as people think. I've always gotten a kick out of, uh, you know, my family, they, they know how it is. In fact, they, they occasionally they will travel with me, but I think they found that a lot of times it's just not a lot of fun for them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, until, until after the game. So I've, I've talked to my wife a bit and I think if she comes out this year, what she's going to start doing as you know, the guidelines have relaxed and, and our families are able to be around a little bit more than they have the last year or two. Um, she's probably just going to like roll out on Friday night. And then, and then yeah. I'm, I'm terrible company on Friday night because I'm preparing for the show and yeah. kind of locked in, but then after the show, she can come to the show. And then uh, afterwards, you know, maybe we go to the game and, you know, enjoy ourselves or whatever. So um, it kind of works like that. The travel part of it is not glamorous, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a fun job. Well, and she probably gets to, will we'll get to enjoy those pregame spreads, depending on where you go. They bring <laughs> pretty good food especially on, on uh, college football game day. You know, they, they bring it. And the thing that happens is that, you know, and she's responsible for me taking giant bites because the first year I think it was on the show, you know, you think, well, you don't want to drop food on there. You want to say, oh, this is great. Nobody was eating the food. And I was watching, I review every show and I go yeah. back and look and, and make some notes for myself and for everyone else. And I share them with our, with our group, both uh, on camera and behind. And we're watching the show one morning and she goes, you, you've got to start eating the food. She said, they bring that food out there. She said, those guys won't take, she said, just eat it. And yeah. uh, so I've started, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just dive in and eat something. And uh, it, it's been, it's been fun that way, but that food then disappears, David, they take it away and our crew and they deserve it. They work hard, but that's the last I see of that food <laughs> is when it comes out and it comes out and, and I was like, well, I guess I guess all of that great salmon and barbecue and banana pudding. I guess that's all gone by now. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Off to sure. Jimmy John's then or something. Yeah, really. Do you guys have as much fun as it appears? And I've been around your set more on college basketball, 
than than with college football. But I've been around that type of set. Do you guys have as much fun as it appears you do? No, I really don't like those guys, and they don't like me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I get. Uh, we do, and I'm very fortunate in that regard to be able to um, to work with people. Sometimes, you know, I, I always draw a line. Maybe as I've gotten older, I think we throw around the term. Well, he's my friend. He's friend. She's a friend. Whatever. Yeah. And most of the time, I draw a distinction between friend and friendly. You know, it's a. Uh, and, and I count those guys as friends. They're there. We know about each other's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, we care about each other personally. We talk about things other than work. We have shared good times and bad times, especially those of us who've been together a lot. I mean, Billis and I, I joke a lot about him, but I don't have a better friend in the world than, you know, than Jay. And, you know, we've, we've dealt with a lot of things, both personal and professional, uh, professionally together. And uh, I think helped each other in a lot of tough spots. And, um, you know, and this, and the same is true for, for David Pollack, who I've been friends with for a long time. And I yeah. think that, uh, you know, that over the last eight years, since I've been doing game day, that I've, you know, gotten really close with Kirk and Desmond as well. And I consider them very good friends. And certainly, you know, and certainly Lee's been, uh, you know, Lee's been awesome. And Seth Greenberg and I close and Lafonso, Lafonso hasn't been around long, but yeah. uh, Lafonso and I have a lot of very similar values. And uh, I did actually did Lafonso's audition. Um, in fact, uh, Hubert Davis asked me because I, I don't, they had a mutual acquaintance. I'm not sure if they were sharing representation or not, yeah. but uh, Hubert is, uh, Hubert's probably the only coach that I would say that I really am friends with. Other ones I'm friendly with, you know, right. Hubert, Hubert and I are very close. And uh, so, uh, you know, there was some disappointment in the national championship game, although I was happy for Bill and happy for Kansas and everything, but you know, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, but we don't root as we all know, I'm just saying right. it would have been personally, it would have been nice, but uh, Hubert asked me, he said, Hey, you know, Lafonso's coming in. You think you could help him out? So I went in and I didn't know Lafonso and I did his audition. This has been years, years ago. Now when he first started with ESPN and he's such a loyal, kind uh, man of faith. He's never, ever forgotten that and uh, our uh you know our friendship has really blossomed and developed over the years so i'm, I'm really fortunate and no i know i've rambled it would be more, much more entertaining to your listeners if i could come up with one of the guys that i don't like or that i think is a bad <laughs> person or something but we're really blessed in that the people i work with in game day both in football and basketball um are just you know they're just tremendously kind thoughtful um, considerate people who are great teammates. And I'm, I'm fortunate to have them. You know, you and I met at a uh, KU basketball game. I think it was when they played Kentucky uh, yeah. last year and you guys were there. And I, I, I was taken, taken back by two things, not surprised, but just, uh, it just uh, reverberated with me. First of all, when I introduced myself to you, I said, I've been friends with Jay Billis for a long time. And your first comment was, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, it was, but it was done in a way that I knew that it was sarcastic. I'm, yeah. I'm bilingual. I speak English and sarcasm. So I read yeah. sarcasm in that. But the other thing that, that really uh, reverberated with me is I, I was able to go back to, the, to your green room area in one of the other buildings. And I watched you guys just interact with each other. And it looked it looked more, and I realize all the preparation is done at that point because mm -hmm. this was, you know, uh, after might have been 
I think it was before the pregame. I think it was the show was done, but the pregames and halftimes and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. I think is when it was. So, um, and it was, you know, you guys were interacting more as friends than as colleagues. And that really made me feel good that, you know, what we see on Saturday mornings is real. Yeah. Well, it, it is. I mean, for instance, I've, I've mentioned the other two guys and Seth Greenberg and I um, have become good friends. We, we have, recently moved my wife and I, but, uh, we, we do, we did keep our house in Connecticut for the time being, and it's in the same neighborhood as Seth. So Seth, Seth and Karen, um, you know, have, you know, came to my kids' graduation parties and, you know, and and we've, we haven't, we haven't gone to big Greenberg extravaganza weddings that he's thrown for his daughters, but we've tried to send a, uh, you know, a nice gift because we think the world of them. And so there, you know, that's, I don't think that always happens in television or in media, Dave, and probably not even in any business, but some of it is the fact that you spend a lot of time together. Uh, Some of it is probably that we're all to some degree, uh, have a, a degree of neuroticism. So we, you know, we tend to share issues with each other and, and things like that. So I, I think that has been able to be to our benefit in terms of developing relationship and, and being friends and challenging each other and hopefully making the show uh, the best it can possibly be. All right, let's get into some of the shows, some questions about the shows. You get more fired up heading into a big football weekend in November or big hoops weekend in February? Well, I mean, I really hate to answer this question this way because my my basketball guys are really jealous, just to be honest. And I understand it because football kind of drives the boat. And as exciting as it is in basketball, and as much as I enjoy that, there, there's nothing like uh, a giant college football weekend on a campus, you know, where games highly anticipated. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, I mean, there have been, there have been so many, but, you know, one I remember was uh, – 2019 um, LSU and Alabama and Tuscaloosa, you know, Joe Burrow was coming in, um, you know, dignitaries from all over the place. Tua was coming off the injury that, you know, there was a whole Alabama LSU thing that goes on. And I mean, it was, it was just, you know, you could cut it all, all weekend, you know? And I think, I think the nature of that one game a week, in addition to the fact the nature of the postseason right now is yeah. that that game now Tua ended up getting hurt and that probably had a lot to do with it but that game probably or not probably it determined whether the loser would be able to compete for the national championship and both teams knew it going in. Yeah. You mentioned the Kentucky Kansas game where you and I met. That was a big game and anytime Kentucky and Kansas play in the regular season it's a big deal. Yeah. But uh, as I recall, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, uh, Kentucky stomped a mud hole in them that night, and that didn't have one thing to do with the Jayhawks and that uh, that new banner that they're going to raise and that trophy that they yeah. have shined up and polished with a trophy case. So there's a little bit of that, uh, yeah. a little bit of, uh, you know, there's like high stakes all in for a giant college football weekend and that you don't get in the regular season in basketball. So I think that makes it that makes it a little bit different. Do you have any favorite stories from from game day from the from the actual show? I've got one for you. And so I hope hopefully you won't use it. But uh, do you have any favorite stories of interactions that either caught you off guard or made you feel really good? Maybe it's the 
half court shots when the kids win free tuition or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed the when the kids win the free tuition or, or not. It's actually nineteen thousand dollars. I guess they can use it for tuition. Okay. Um, but um, that's always fun when they make it. Um, the kid who made it this year. Um, was it at Kansas? I don't remember where it was. I'm, my, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. The kid, the kid says, uh, you know, I'm telling him, uh, get off as many shots as you can in the 19 seconds. And he said, I'm only going to need one. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right. And it turns out he only needed three. And he did almost make the first one. And he almost made the second one. And then he did make the third one. And uh, so I always think that's fun. Uh, we've had great court stormings. I remember at Virginia one year when the kid made the shot and a bunch of students run out and are celebrating and I real with the kid who made the shot. And I realized all of a sudden, wait, that's Kyle guy and Braxton key. They're, they're like the, the team ran yeah. out, you know, and they ran out and they were watching. And when the kid made the shot they ran out and celebrated with him. So, you know, I think, I think those moments, uh, you know, those moments are a lot of fun and we've, uh, you know, I think we've had a lot of things that have happened in uh, in basketball and in football over the years that are, you know, that are memorable, whether it's, you know, whether it's Corso swearing on the air. Now, I was not there for the F-bomb. Uh, that was before me, but I was there for the S-bomb uh, for, uh, at UCF. So, you know, when he does that or, um, you know, we've had a guy dive in a mud pit at Clemson sort of spontaneously, Pat McAfee jumping off the top of a houseboat into the Brazos river, which I don't think he realized was only about four and a half feet deep. And I knew that. And I was like, no, 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 no. You know, but yeah. I was, I wasn't on the boat with him and he jumped. And I was thankful he wasn't hurt. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of, I think there've been a lot of things like that in addition to, you know, some spicy arguments from time to time. Well, my my favorite, uh, and I believe it was after you started uh, on basketball game day, Duke at Virginia, probably three or four years ago. Well, it uh, had to be because I did the first basketball game day. Now, the first okay. year, Fowler did uh, the second half of the season. We split it. But then after okay. I've done every one since then. So, okay. yeah, I so I had to be there. Okay. So you guys had Ralph Sampson on the set and yeah. showing in, on the bumpers in and out of commercials, you're showing Ralph dominating Jay Billis through the years. And one of your reporters, I don't remember who, it might have been Holly, uh, was interviewing Tony Bennett uh, in the corner of the court and asked him if he would like to have Ralph on his roster. And he said, I don't know if I'd rather have Ralph suit up for us or have Jay Billis suit up for Duke. <laughs> and nobody laughed harder than Jay. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that that was just absolutely hilarious. How much of that banter is planned or is any of it planned none not none of it is i mean uh, you may know individually you know and we don't have a script we don't have a teleprompter we have a rundown we know what we're going to talk about yeah. you know subject matter but there's no you know none of it is scripted and that's the same with football too um so none of it is and we certainly didn't know tony was going to say that but you know that's that's kind of part and parcel of the way we go about you know busting busting each other's chops yeah. one that that i remember there was a show that we did a few years ago at colorado and the decision was made i don't really recall the reasons for it but that was not going to be the saturday primetime game but it's where we chose to do game day it was one of our games basketball game day and so billis was not with us he was on satellite from wherever he was calling the game and this is something that most people probably wouldn't have 
wouldn't have known and hopefully didn't throw up a big stop sign. But we showed Jay, I don't even remember why we did it, but we showed Jay go in and do a reverse dunk. And, you know, it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty good dunk, reverse dunk. But I knew from talking to Jay over the years that his high school coach in the mean streets of Rolling Hills, California, uh, (laughs) didn't, didn't like for them to dunk. And sometimes if Jay dunked, even during the game, you got to remember, people don't realize he was a big freaking deal coming out of high school. He was a really good player. You know, high school American, big time, big time get for Duke at that time. And his high school coach would say to him, "Um, I don't recall giving you permission to stuff the ball. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he called it stuffing the ball. And uh, so we showed this dunk and Billis is on satellite. And so I hadn't thought of it. I just saw him dunk. And I just said, I don't recall giving you permission to stuff the ball. And, you know, and he howled and nobody really knew why we were laughing. But his high school teammates picked up on it and they were like sending messages said, you told Reese that story. I was like, yeah. yeah. So, That's so cool. anyway, yeah. the, in, the inside humor, even though it's inside humor, is still funny. You know, I mean, even if we didn't know that story. And I remember you doing that. I thought that was funny, but where did that come from? Yeah, nobody knows why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's still it's still funny. Speaking of Tony Bennett, is there a classier guy in sports than Tony Bennett? Well, I mean, he's certainly right at the top. Um, you know, I think, you know, men of faith like Tony, you know, like Hubert Davis. And, you know, I, it's funny, Tony, um, Tony's not a big fan of like coming out doing the interview, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sitting on the desk with us, you know, a lot of coaches do, and we certainly appreciate it. And we respect, you know, Tony's decision not to, um, but Tony's so personable off camera. Yeah. Uh, I called one of their games this year. Actually, I called the game where they, they beat Duke and uh, Cameron indoor. And, um, we we're sitting there after, you know, doing the normal pregame, um, things that you do for the morning shoot around to see what's going on with the team. And he, he recalled a conversation that he and I had had about uh, some faith matters and stuff that we had had before the national championship game in 2019, when they won, I hadn't really thought about it. And the fact that he brought it up, I think shows uh, gives evidence to what you're talking about. He, he makes mental note. He treats everyone he runs across with respect He's, he's just a good, good guy. In addition to being a great, great yeah. coach. And he's, he's a good person. He lives his faith. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's something that's really admirable and it's good for the the players that he has influence on. I was, I had the privilege of, uh, being at the game. I'm not sure privilege is the right word. I, I was at the game that Virginia lost to UMBC in 2018. I was covering mm-hmm. Kansas state who played Creighton in the game before that. Um, so I'm sitting there courtside and I went into the post-game press conference expecting just total meltdown. Mm-hmm. And, and Tony Bennett was saying, we got outplayed. We got outcoached my respect to those, to that team. They deserve to win. I mean, it was just, it was as classy as you could be in a historically bad <clears throat> situation. Right. No question. And he handled that. Uh, you're you're right. I don't know what else I can add to that saying other than it was admirable because yeah. there it was by by sports definition here. The loss was inexcusable. I mean, all credit to them. 
But you know, we understand what that means. You you say it; it doesn't mean that you're trying to take away from UMBC's great right. moment. But there was no reason for that to have happened. You know, in terms of um, you know level of, of team, and you know, I think that was borne out really with the rest of the tournament that year and then the following year. But when things happen, it's sports. I mean, that's some, sometimes things don't go your way, and it's really hard to explain why. And the way he responded to it, and he, you know, he didn't say what I just said. It was an inexcusable loss. That should never happen at the University of Virginia. I'm embarrassed, blah, 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 which really is a way, and it's something I, I find that is a little off-putting, from coaches sometimes because the hidden context in that, in my judgment is somebody come tell me how good a coach I am. Mm. You know, somebody, somebody come make me feel better about this, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, I'm going to talk about these guys weren't ready. And I'm going to say that we weren't, you know, we didn't coach them, but you know, I'm going to be mad so that somebody will tell me that, you know, I'm okay. And Certainly not all the time. You know, sometimes, you know, coaches are just simply using that forum to send a message to their players to try to get more out of them. I understand that. But there are oftentimes that they they want to be absolved of the blame a little bit yeah. from time to time. That's human. We all, by the way, that's yeah. not just coaches. Yeah. We all do that. And, you know, but I think I, I think the way he handled it instead was the epitome of grace and class and the acceptance that sometimes the unpredictable happens in sports and the players are human. And, uh, you know, one of, uh, you know, one of my, one of my son's baseball coaches, uh, Scott Bradley, he's a coach at Princeton who used to, uh, who played in big leagues, right. 10 years used to say, um, you go, yeah, baseball, sometimes the harder you try, the worse it gets, you know, <laughs> and that, and, and that's what happened to Virginia that night. Yeah. It started going a little sideways. They tried harder. It got worse, you yeah. know, and that's, you know, I think a lot of times when those upset losses like that happen, the perception is that the team wasn't ready. The team didn't try hard enough. They didn't play hard enough or whatever. And I'm sure that's the case sometimes, but I think a lot of times, especially on that stage, the NCAA tournament, uh, one and done somebody, you know, you know, it is forever, you know, if you lose the game. And that's what happened to Virginia that night. UMBC got hot. The confidence got up. They're like mentally, even if they weren't consciously thinking this on some subconscious level, it was like, oh, my gosh, this can't happen. We've got to stop this right now. And the harder they tried, the worse it got. Yeah. And everybody in the arena, except for the people in blue and orange, were rooting for UMBC. Right. Precisely. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, It's obvious that Jay Billis likes Duke and Kirk Herbstreet likes Ohio State because they played at those schools. I do think both of them do a really good job of not being homers. But I literally had to look up where you went to school, University of Alabama. With the success that Alabama has had in football in recent years, how hard is it for you not to toot your horn about your alma mater? Um. It's, it's actually pretty easy and not because I'm not proud of them and not because I don't care, um, you know, to the, to the point of Kirk and Jay and even Desmond and David, Yeah, I would, I would be disappointed if they didn't care uh, because if they didn't care, I'm not sure why they would be doing this for a living, but both of them are wise enough to know that it is completely possible to detach yourself and be fair. Yeah. No one, no one, should expect 
broadcasters or anyone else to be without any emotion or without any connection and be robotic. But what they can expect is the ability to step back and be fair and to evaluate. And that's what Kirk and, and Jay both do extraordinarily well. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of them for that. As it pertains to me, I think it's a little bit different for me because I didn't play. I was, a, you know, I was a player. People ask me if I played in college and I tell them that uh, my talent ran out after high school, although all of my high school teammates would tell you that it ran out a long time before that, <laughs> I'm sure. But I didn't play at that level, you know, unless we're, unless we're talking, unless we're covering the, uh, the Alabama intramurals. Uh, uh, tournament I didn't play so I I think while I don't think that disqualifies me from having an opinion from sharing that from challenging the opinions of those guys because I I often think when athletes former athletes get in and go when did you play well then they've lost the argument because they can't really articulate what it is if they resort to that then that means they either don't know why they disagree with you or they're not willing or can't articulate it, which, by the way, is never a problem for any of my guys. They always have have a reason for that. (laughs) But um, I do think that that is the one the one time where I have to really step back even farther than they do. Because I just went to school there. I didn't play there. And uh, so nobody cares, you know, that I went to school there except for the people who want to, you know, try to read subtext and every little thing, because you can't, you can't win that. Um, Because the people who do know, I often get, um, you don't represent, you know, the way other, other people do. And I'm like, well, they're on different types of shows. It's different, you know, and, uh, or, you know, the ones that maybe go, you know, that are from a rival school who know that, you know, you went to Alabama, then they're like, you're always, so you can't win. So why, why engage with that? So it's not, it's not really hard because I think that, you know, my sort of trite answer to it over the years has been that I'm on scholarship with ESPN. They want me to represent them and fairness, but I just think it's the right thing to do, David. It's, it's, I'm not going to be robotic. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, that I don't look at second and 26 when Tua hit Devontae Smith is one of, you know, one of the, my favorite things, but in the moment, I don't think of it that way. Like I had a, here, here's an example, the back-to-back years that Alabama and Clemson played for the national championship. And I present the trophy, um, you know, on the stage um, to present the trophy at the end of the championship game. And a lot of my, a lot of my buddies that I went to school with and so forth after Clemson won on Deshaun Watson's past Hunter Renfro, you know, in the, in the last second said that must've been terrible, you know, to have to give the trophy to, to Dabo Sweeney and Clemson after, after that game. And I said, no, it really wasn't. I said one, because I'm kind of in a different mindset. I'm thinking it's a championship moment. It's not about, where I went to school, whether I'm happy or sad, it's about presenting the champion with the trophy. And, and I said, and in addition to that, the previous year when Alabama had beaten Clemson in that great game, I said, I was walking back um, to our green room area and ran into Dabble's wife, Kathleen and, and his sons. And they were, they were heartbroken, you know, and they've been, and I've been friendly with them for years. And, and, you know, you see what they put into it. You see the other side, you see yeah. something beyond the people and the 
in the uniforms or the helmets that don't represent the, the school where you went. And I think because of that, it gives you some perspective to be able to um, handle that maybe differently than you would if you were sitting with a bunch of your college friends, you know, in a, in a big room watching on a giant screen and have that happen. Then, you know, then probably you show some disappointment or whatever. But when you're in that moment, it doesn't I'm telling you, it honestly people don't believe this. It honestly doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It doesn't feel the same when you're there in a work environment um, doing it as it does, you know, when you were just a fan. And I think the thing is, it happens in my role. There's a cost to everything. And you give up the exhilaration because while I do enjoy watching second and 26 now, and, and one of the guys, one of my close friends who was in my wedding is the biggest Johnny Bulldog you've ever seen. And I've told him, I'm sure he's got something now from this most recent championship game to represent uh, his side of it. But I've told him that his contact photo now, when he calls me is Devonte Smith hauling in that pass right there. So every time, you know, just to mess with him a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I enjoy that now, but in the moment I, yeah. you know, it, it's different. It's almost like it's, you know, later on you either go, Oh, my, my, alma mater lost or yay, my alma mater won, but you <clears throat> sacrifice, you sacrifice the exhilaration that you used to get when you were, you know, just a fan. But at the same time, your hurt at the disappointment is mitigated, you know, yeah. significantly mitigated, yeah. you know, so, so you kind of come to the middle a little bit more emotionally, I think, but I do also think it's a little different for guys who played, because, you know, David was, uh, you know, David was thrilled. He was a professional, complete professional all the time. But he was thrilled when when Georgia beat Alabama this year and finally got that national championship. So and that's OK. I think that our fans. I think our fans want. The people they watch every Saturday to be human. Now, yeah. they don't want them to be cheerleaders and they don't want right. them to be obnoxious and they don't want them trolling and talking smack, you know, about the other team like you would on Twitter or something. But I think they're OK. Most of them, you know, I mean, there are always exceptions, you know, if yeah. you're gauged by social media. But the, for the most part, people want them to be human. They would be disappointed no matter how much they dislike Ohio State. If they thought Kirk Herbstreet didn't care about Ohio State. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be just wildly yeah. disappointing? Wouldn't that yeah. be sad? That would be bad. You know, he covers the sport and you don't care about your school, which yeah. is not the case. And, you know, so, and so I, because of that, I don't think it's as, as long as you behave professionally and you don't, you know, you don't behave like a troll, which none of my guys ever have, right. um, you know, but that would be where I would say that it's not, you know, nobody wants you sitting up there singing the fight song unless you're doing it you know, in jest and there's like some type of playful moment or something like that. That's different. But I mean, like, you know, week in, week out up there, you know, um, you know, being a, being a mascot, nobody wants that. Yeah. That, that singing the fight song is where you're for your celebrity picker. Uh, yeah. Or me. That's the thing. I get to sing a lot of the fight songs, whether I really root for them or not. Like I like some of the obscure ones. They, uh, Billis gives me a hard time all the time because I love of all things. And I don't really know why. I really love the Michigan State fight song. Not that it's the best. I just sort of like it. And uh, so, you know, one part, one of the lines in is on the banks of the Red Cedar. And so it's become like a running inside joke that I'll find the local tributary or the local body of water. 
and see it. And for some reason, Billis has turned it into on the banks of the big sweaty every time, you know, that uh, <laughs> I do it, but I always do it. And I always, you know, find the local Creek or river or pond or lake yeah. or whatever it is. And I'll mention it at some point in the show and I'll cast him a look like almost daring him to say something about it, you know? So well, I'm, I'm going to guess there's one exception to the rule you just explained and that's iron bowl when you're not on set with your wife who is an Auburn alum. <laughs> yeah, we, um, and our house is even completely divided, even though my son has his own schools now, my daughter too, although the, the uh, my daughter's school, the NYU Violets, they're, they're not exactly a player when it comes uh, to the college football playoff. Um, but um, they they have divided along family lines too. My my son tends to root for Auburn, but he's he's the one Auburn fan. He, he uh, really admires Nick Saban and likes to hear what he has to say, but he's in, he likes, he roots for Auburn and my daughter roots for Alabama. Um, so there was a time early on where we, you know, we didn't really watch the game together. And I think that, um, I, I think even now she feels like she can't, you know, can't turn loose and cheer, although it's completely okay with me if she does. Um, but I don't think she likes watching the game with me because I'm critiquing stuff that happens during <laughs> that particular game. The other game, she's okay, uh, okay watching with me. Now, I if I'm going to ask you, and you can just say I'm going to take the fifth on that. If, <laughs> if the NCAA had any teeth, and you were the president of the NCAA, what changes would you make to the two sports? No, I'm not taking. I'm not taking the fifth on that. Um, <laughs> Give me an opportunity. Um, the first thing I would do is I would um, first thing I would do is I would shrink division one. Uh, the only thing that Duke and Duquesne have in common athletically is the first syllable, you know, in, in their respective university names. Uh, Alabama doesn't have anything in common with South Alabama in terms of the uh, demands of the sport or the resources. So I, I think, I think it's time to go to an ultra elite division. That makes me sad a little bit. And I, I do still want to see them play from time to time and not just play in an NFL type thing. But I think it would probably be better for uh, the enterprise if you do that simply because of the way, uh, the way things have moved recently. That would be that would probably be the first place I would start. Certainly, shrink it in basketball as well. It might not have to be as small in basketball as it is in football. I would have the two sports govern themselves. Basically, have a governing body that govern those smaller divisions and not have to go through the bureaucracy of the NCAA. Um, and I would probably try to try to start it right there. The other thing I think that would make it more honest when the television contract comes up for the players, you have to probably do some type of revenue sharing and there needs to be, I think I've come to this. It, it makes me a little uncomfortable. I think probably just because of nostalgia and tradition, but I, the only way I see out of this kind of, unwieldy system. I won't say chaos. It's not chaos. It's just, it's the market running free, which is a good thing. I'm a capitalist. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the players making money. I mean, there, yeah. some of the players are never going to be more marketable than they are when they're a Kansas Jayhawk basketball player. When, you know, when they play football at Alabama, you know, 
I mean, even though I know Johnny Menzel brought a lot of problems on himself, when do you think he was most marketable? When he was Texas A&M, Johnny football, or when he was, you know, struggling with the Cleveland Browns? Yeah. You know, so I don't, we don't limit anyone else. So I, that's why I think NIL is a good thing. But it's an enterprise. And I think the trade-off is that if you involve the players in revenue sharing from the TV contracts and, and other things in a pro manner, and maybe you can find a way to do it without making them full-fledged employees of the universities, because I'm not sure the universities are well-equipped to handle that effectively. Yeah. Maybe it can be something through this new organization that I would advocate for, at least new division or new branch, if it has to be under the NCAA umbrella, that runs and organizes the major sports there's revenue sharing and along with the revenue sharing probably what the players would have to concede on that side in collective bargaining is some some level of control in, in terms of where they go play uh, the transfer portal i mean which i'm also for because yeah. coaches coaches are usually right about players but that doesn't mean always Right. Coaches are human too. And they get a perception about a guy and they decide he's one thing and maybe he thinks he's more and whether he's right or she's right. They have, a, they have, they have the right to be able to go and see, I mean, you know, there are guys or a couple of guys who've left Duke basketball who weren't playing at all at Duke and became, you know, first round draft picks. Uh, Simi Ojale is, you know, is one that, that comes to mind. And that doesn't mean, you know, they just didn't fit. wasn't the right thing. So I'm all for guys because it's a short window, a college career. I am all for them looking for their best opportunity. But if they're going to collect money from collectives, and if they're going to have NIL deals that are at least based in part on being a member of a certain team, then there has to be something worked in so that becomes a two-way street. And maybe the way some of that is offset is that some of they share in some of the revenue from, you know, from television and from uh, the playoff money and whatever else there is. I don't know if guardrails is the right word, but maybe some framework I think would be healthier for the enterprise. That said, David, if we don't do that, the earth's not going to spin off its axis. We're not going to stop having popular college football and college basketball. It's just going to take a little while for the market to find itself, but it will. If we just leave it alone sooner or later, if David Smale, you know, gave, you know, a million dollars to the Kansas state or Kansas collective, I'm not sure where your allegiance is there, if either, but let's no just cats. say, for, uh, no the cats. okay. All right. Let's say you gave a million dollars to the Kansas state, uh, collective and either your team didn't win as much as you would have liked, or maybe the recruiting class didn't pan out, wasn't as marketable as you had hoped. And before long, you might go, huh? Even if you're very wealthy, am I going, am I going to get a better return on my investment waiting on the next Deuce Vaughn or the next Colin Klein? And maybe I'm going to have to give 3 million to them to have them work with to represent my company, but I know I'm getting something, you know, I know I'm getting something back for that. And will everybody do that? No, there, you know, there will still be yeah. certain collectives, but I think the market over time 
will eventually correct the course. But I don't know that that's the most efficient way or the best way for the enterprise. But I don't think I'm not a gloom and doomer that says this is going to all crash in if we don't come up with a framework. You know, I think that probably some type of framework that is fair to the players, meaning that it has been bargained by someone not not someone appointed, you know, by the governing body, but by someone who legitimately represents them. And I know this sounds yeah. a lot like a union, but it's the only way I see out of it, yeah. you know, and um, to make it right and an honest enterprise for everybody represents them. Everybody comes to terms with an agreement and you know what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, so I, I think those were the things I would do. I know that was a lot. That's not quite the tidy list you were looking for, but no, I, kind of, I kind of ascended to the soapbox there. Oh, that was that was awesome. I, I want to move things along. I, I appreciate your time. <clears throat> I know you've done a lot with men's uh, U.S. men's national team soccer. What sports are on your bucket list that you haven't done? This sounds this sounds really boring, and I'm I'm always up for a challenge. But I feel fortunate in that I'm doing the two sports that. I love the most or probably second and third. My, my first love is whatever, you know, whatever team my son's playing for um, at the time, which at this moment is the uh, Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers in the um, United Shore Professional Baseball League. They're my favorite team and what I care most about right now. But, um, <laughs> but beyond that, it's college football and college basketball. Um, I love doing the NFL draft. I think, you know, um, I think the opportunity to call more games either – you know, as time goes along in either college football, primarily college football, but maybe if, you know, you ever get an opportunity to, you know, call some NFL games at some, someday, that'd be great. Um, but I don't have any, I don't have any event or anything. I guess if I was, you know, if we ever got the Olympics, I think every sportscaster would probably want to be an yeah. Olympic host, but I won't feel unfulfilled if I never do that, because I'm doing the two sports that I care the most about already. And yeah. so I'm kind of, I'm kind of good with that. Well, we'll see you in, in April uh, for the NFL draft when you come to Kansas city. And I'm sure I'll see you uh, at a game at Allen Fieldhouse this year, even though I'm a K-Stater, I, I have said, I've been in the Dean Dome. I've been in Cameron. I've been in Poly Pavilion. I've been in lots of arenas around the country. There is nothing uh, like Allen Fieldhouse. So looking forward to seeing you uh, back there. Um, what do you think you'd be doing if you had to have a real job? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Uh, I wouldn't be good at it. I know that because I'd be spending all my time thinking about sports. I've, I've been blessed in that regard. I think um, I, I'm not, if, if I were doing something, I'm not really sure what it would be because I'm not particularly handy around the house. Um, you know, I, I liked, uh, probably like English, uh, English and history better than math. So it's not like I'd be an engineer, the bridge, the bridge wouldn't, wouldn't ever get built, let alone be sustainable. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I've been, uh, I've been fortunate in that regard. I did, I did think for a while about the idea of, uh, of campus ministry, uh, when I was in college, but, um, you know, that's a, that's a very high calling. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, I think that what, what I'm doing now, uh, hopefully, hopefully I've had a good influence on people. I certainly haven't, you know, been everything that I, that I would have been in that or would like to be in that regard. I'm not sure anybody ever is, but, um, I, I don't know. That's a tough question because I'm, I'm very fulfilled in what I do. So that'd probably be it. 
I don't, I don't normally ask these questions when I'm doing an interview, but you've brought it up a, a couple of times. And, and I, I will tell you that I'm, I'm not a sports writer who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be a sports writer. And there's a big difference. Just talk about how you, how you live out your faith as a high profile broadcaster. Um, I think like anybody who's a Christian, I think that it, sometimes it's better than others. But you always have to have to remember that that's the most important thing in your life because it's the only thing that's eternal. Yeah. Everything else is is temporary. And I've I've shared this with my son as he's you know uh, fought through his and fighting through his baseball career is that and it's something advice that I should take for myself. This is something you do. It's not who you are. Yeah. And ultimately, how you live your faith how you influence people. Um, you know, it's the, you know, if you read in the old Testament, if you read in Ecclesiastes and Solomon bemoans the fact that so much in life is to use this phrase chasing after the wind, yeah. you know, everything's meaningless. And at the, at the conclusion of the matter, as he says, is, you know, follow God and keep his commandments. That's really the whole duty of man. And mm -hmm. so you attempt to do that and you fall short. And I have fallen short and there are probably people on this podcast are going, well, I've seen him do something that didn't seem very Christian to me, you know, and that's, and, you know, that's something that you're concerned about. But, um, you know, I, there are other people in, uh, on our team who are, you know, people of faith and I'm thankful for their support. So you just try to, you try to do the best you can, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of living to that standard and seeking forgiveness when you don't. I like to wrap up with two things. First of all, and you've you've alluded to the fact, you know, you're you're married, you have a son and a daughter. Just talk about your family. Well, they're great. And they've uh, you know, I'm very proud of them. I'm the quintessential proud father and husband. And uh I've been blessed that they are they are really understanding of the demands and the sacrifices that go into um that go into this job. And I've, you know my big thing with them is that I do my best. I, mean, I have to work from home a lot in terms of preparation and all of that, but I've tried throughout their lives and throughout our marriage to be when I'm home, I'm home. And, yeah. you know, my wife is a, is a tremendous partner in that. And my kids have been extraordinarily supportive and we are very, very proud of them. And we've probably centered our lives around their pursuits, uh, um, <laughs> you know, some, some would argue too much, but it sort of has, it's worked for us, you know, is sort of the way, yeah. the way we phrased it. So I've got, you know, I'm very, very blessed to have, um, you know, to have great kids, wonderful wife and a uh, great marriage. And I, it's something I'm thankful for every day. All right. And I like, I would like to wrap up with this one and I get some curious looks when I ask the question. So you can interpret the question however you want, and then obviously answer it however you want. What's your legacy? I hope to be a good person and to that that has had a positive influence on the people I've worked with. Um, you know, I don't it I don't think it's about awards or about, you know, roles or anything else. It's, it's sort of that's all people are really going to remember, you know, at the end, if they remember that. Yeah. And, you know, I've sort of joked one thing that will keep you humble in, in my business is that you know, let's say, and I hope this never happens, but it's business. And let's say, you know, maybe you reach a point and 
and things didn't go your way in a negotiation or whatever, and you're you're replaced. So there might be someone who said, "Man, I can't believe they they did that to RD." And it'd be, "Okay, what are we what are we going to do in the bees?" You know, and, and the show goes on. Yeah. And so you so the only thing that endures really is how did you treat people? Did you approach your job with the gravitas and with the seriousness that it demands? Um, did you, you know, did you treat people well and with respect? Did you represent your faith? Did you do best to live your faith? Um, you know, were you kind to people? Were you professional? You know, were you, you know, were you, did, could they always count on you to do your best and to, and to be a rock? You know, I, I joke with our directors. It's, it's a, sort of like a, a little running thing that I've had with our directors on game day. I tell Rodney Perez, who who is moving up the corporate ladder, but he's been our director for a number of years and Rodney and I've been friends for years. I'll tell him, I'll say, Rodney, things start going wrong on this show. You know how to fix it, baby. Put that camera on me and I'll fix it for you. And, you know, and it's, just, but you know, it's a joke and it's just a, a sort of little banter thing that we do, but yeah. it, that is the kind of person and kind of, that you want to, I would like to be viewed that way is that, you know, I was a good person. I worked, you know, I worked hard. I cared about the product. I was honest. And then when, when the crap hit the fan, when things started melting down and the light fell and crashed on the set, he put the camera on me and I calmed everybody down and fixed it, you know, and that's, that's kind of probably what I'd like my legacy to be. All right. That's great. I've really, really enjoyed this. Uh, and you know, I hope at some point when you're talking about friendly versus friends that I have transitioned from being friendly <laughs> with, to being friends, but, uh, I really, really enjoyed this and I appreciate you joining us very much. You bet. Thanks for listening to sports connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.